Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we've got a very exciting episode for y'all today. We are here with Kevin Colville. What's up, y'all? How are you doing? <laughs> Good. I feel really welcomed into your home. It's very sweet. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Of cool. course. Yeah. 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 Uh, w- the circumstances this evening are not usual. Uh, at, at the moment, we're being filmed by a, a film crew from Hamburg, Germany. Mm-hmm. Which shockingly does not happen to me very often. Okay, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, your film crews come from other yeah. parts of the world. I, I tend toward like Danish yes. film crews. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Their aesthetic is beautiful. So I understand. Oh, yeah. That. Absolutely. That makes, yeah. Plus, I'm just like super into mermaids. Okay. And the Danes. They do like mermaids a lot. They got yeah. they got a speed on mermaids. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Also, our friend Tyler is here. Yeah. Hey. Tyler's been here. <laughs> So for those regular listeners of the podcast, we just had Olivia Lilly here a couple hours ago. Mm-hmm. So it's just been kind of like a, a weird recording chat session, fest. chat fest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're hanging out. Yeah. I made pizza dough. Yeah. It was great. There is pizza dough in the fridge. Yeah, there yeah. it is. Um, so I have just a world of questions for you because I, right, I just good. like really love and appreciate what you're about and what you're working on right now because um so you the the reason i like so was excited to have you on at first was because i saw the title of people's history of chicago and i was like oh my god is that a history of chicago with like a howard zinn edge to it and then i started getting like into some of your press materials and stuff and just like kind of getting a general idea of like the work that you do and what you're about and i was like yeah this is awesome so i'm um Really interested in talking about the book. Um, it's a it's recently released, right? Yeah, it came out officially in in April. Uh, we did a launch party at the Harold Washington Library in uh, on March fourth, which Chicago's Incorporation Day. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so I've had it kind of in hand since then. Yeah, oh man, I just it's one of those things where like when you sit down and this is why I'm a bad journalist. I like have <laughs> five questions that I want to ask at once. Yeah. Um, let's go with first. So, a people's sister of Chicago. What was your like, what made you want to bite into this, like... Yeah, well, I mean, you're, you know, obviously Howard, you know. Yeah. And, and that book was incredibly formative for my own, you know, experience, my own knowledge, my own take on the world as a young person. Um, it was one of four books I, I read on my own in high school that I was really lucky to get in the library. Uh, I kind of went the autobiography of Malcolm X, mm-hmm. and then... Uh, Lerone Bennett Jr.'s uh, Before the Mayflower, History of Black America, and then Howard's uh, People's History of the United States of America, and then the Black the Black Poets edited by Dudley Randall, an anthology that came out in the 50s. And, and those four books I read because hip-hop really sent me to the library, and, mm-hmm. and you know Howard particularly kind of armed me for battle in my U.S. history class as a junior. You know, I think that's a requirement in the state of Illinois where you got to take that, like, American history class or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I read, I probably read uh, the book, you know, the bulk of it at least, maybe, like, in between my sophomore and junior year high school in order to even prepare for that class. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, first day, first period, you know, I had my hand up you know, ready to battle, you know, because there were pictures of only, like, dead white dudes on the wall. Right. And yeah. and and so that was my first question, and then I had already, like, dipped into, like, the history text that they gave us, which was, you know, whack and revisionist and, mm-hmm. you know, through a very narrow Eurocentric white supremacist, you know, canon, mm-hmm. and, um, 
so yeah, so that book had a giant impact on me, you know, and 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 I think I wanted to then use a similar lens and and you know my own poetic imagination to tell the story of this city that I love, and also I feel like sometimes we don't do the best job of putting on for our own, you know. Mm-hmm. No, and and that's exactly kind of one of the other things that I really am interested in with your work is that, um, I mean, that in a weird way, um, like, of course, there's such a rich history of progressive politics, of leftist politics, of anarchist politics, of like all of these amazing things that um, you get when you go through people's history of of, um, of America. But, um, you know, in, in a, it really is glossed over and it. It, there is a like it's a weird like you're filling this amazing niche that's been neglected for like decades um thanks yeah i mean you know i i also I, and i find this and i don't know i, I wonder how y'all feel too oftentimes and i don't know if they're like banging chicago opera singers i'm sure that there are two of y'all but like like also just historically you know i, I and that's the history that I, I don't know but in a lot of the rooms i'm in if it's a conversation about culture even chicago culture makers i feel like in chicago mm-hmm. people won't mention them mm-hmm. and and i think we have you know i think that comes from a, a variety of different places we have you know this notorious kind of second city complex mm-hmm. we also lose a lot of our people to the culture industries of the coast mm-hmm. um but you know i've been so profoundly moved by the impact that culture makers in the city have had on me both you know in my lifetime but also in some of the you know various legacies and gifts that i've been as a chicagoan given from you know some of the people who lived here prior and so I also wanted to like rep for that right. and tell and like really claim some Chicago story. Can we swear in here? No. Yeah. yeah, you can totally swear. Okay, right. okay. I, just, I was gonna say <laughs> shit. I don't know if I should. You know, right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Cool. No, feel free. All right. <laughs> we um we've definitely earned our explicit rating in the past. <laughs> yeah, well done. Um. Yeah. Um. I like just want to like start tearing into history with you. I want to know more about the book. So like, what um. What's the, is there like a through line for the, in the book? Like, is there like a kind of narrative for you? Like, how is it formatted? Well, yeah, I mean, there's 77 poems, uh, and, and it, it's kind of over the span of 525 years of Chicago history from before white folks got here to mm-hmm. the Cubs winning the World Series. Um, mm-hmm. I had a Sox poem in there prior, but then during, you know, the writing of it, the Cubs went ahead and, yeah. you know, won, and so I had to take the Sox out, no shots at the... Yeah. You know, my South Side brethren, but uh, my dad's been a Cubs fan since 43. So, but the book is actually, I mean, that poem in particular is about also some of the, the problems of like the white space of Wrigleyville and, mm. and, and the mm-hmm. problems of like, you know, the white supremacy of the owners of the Cubs too, you know. Mm. Um, but so I wanted to tell a very broad story. Uh, we got to 77 poems because uh, one of the book's main editors, uh, my, my colleague and homie, Nate Marshall, um, I, you know, I think. I went out, well, I brought him like a ton of poems, way too many, like probably 150 for the book. And he's like, my man, first of all, like, nah, this is too many. <laughs> and, and also he's like, why don't, we, why don't we just, why don't we go with 77 for the neighborhood areas, for the community areas? And that was a way where we began to edit from there. Um, the poems, I would say, are about people who I've admired, some people who are known, some people who I didn't know when starting the book. 
um, and then through research kind of you know got put on to, to some of the folks who I think have had a big impact not only in terms of culture politics and policies in Chicago but also around the planet um, and you know a lot of it too is I think a a, a moment to uh, praise and remember uh, all a lot of the working class victories and struggles that the city and working people in the city have fought hard to secure and, mm-hmm. and win for working people, and I think in this time too, you know, I, I I'm I'm kind of I think you have to be perpetually an optimist, but you know I wanted to lean in a little bit to that working class history to remind us that we certainly have fought against great forces of tyranny and won, you know, and mm-hmm. and we shouldn't be afraid to also risk and come together and organize and and some of the I think most powerful people in the city have been intentional about the kind of organizing they wish to do you know one of the things that um, you know I, I, I have a poem about about Chairman Fred Hampton in the book and you know thinking about the legacy of, of Chairman Fred and uh, his organizing ability and 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 what he was seeking to do which was so fearful for the center uh, also then mirrored in some ways of the campaign of Mayor, Mayor Harold Washington you know and so you know in some ways I think part of the story of the city is about the 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 insurance that working people uh, are kept from one another so they don't form these allegiances to create a different kind of hold of power that ultimately terrifies the center uh, and and so I wanted I wanted to be reminded of that personally as an organizer as an activist and then uh, and, and have us you know really lean into those stories I guess yeah, um, I know. I, I want to kind of expand on this theme of um, of recognition, um, and I'm also curious, and it's something that we're definitely kind of talking about and touching on. But the idea of the thing for me about Chicago politics is there is such a rich radical politics history, um, and so, and I, but I also feel like, and. I'm basically just poorly paraphrasing uh, kind of a thing that you said too, which is that um, uh, a lot of I, I I'm re- trying really hard to not mention the specific company that I'm thinking of by name, but I'm specifically think I, I think they do great art. They're they're an opera company, Haymarket Opera Company. Okay. Named after I don't know if they were named after the Haymarket Riot or not. Wow, yeah. It's not something they have ever kind of like I've never I, I mean I haven't done a, a wealth of research on their like press and if someone's from Haymarket for opera is for some reason listening to this and like I'm poorly representing your secret radical politics ex- like recognition please also, let yo, me where's know where's that opera too yeah. <laughs> where's that that would be that'd be amazing right that opera I would love like I don't you know I would love to see more opera but yeah, yeah I would definitely I would definitely rock with a Haymarket opera it, it should like it should well that's the thing is Haymarket opera is this big um Oh my god! I don't want to just like. They're, no, no, that's okay. I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I don't want you to. I mean, no, well, I'm, what I'm going to say is that they're um, mostly educated people putting on baroque opera, so like specifically European. Okay. Like, right. and they find the obscure within mostly white countries operas, but where's the, where is Chicago? Where is the the thing that yeah. you've named your company after? Yo, again, again, look, if if Haymarket Opera, let's yeah. go. Let's, if Haymarket I mean? Opera is listening somehow to this, and you want to please shots fired. Yeah, uh, or, anyway. or like, let, yo, let's collab. 
Let's right. Make, let's make that Haymarket Opera. You know, yeah. let's, let's I, have would, the company live up to its name. It would be right. a, it would be a waste. Anyway, so my <laughs> question in all of this is, um, do you think there's something about? And I think that this is probably a potentially there's something about our nation as a whole. But do you think there's something about maybe looking at this with uh, through Chicago or any any lens? Like, what is it about this our psyche that, like, as a culture, that we allow that to happen? If that makes sense, where where we don't kind of claim our progressive history, or we kind of leave that out, or because we claim it, but then we then it's left out. Like you know, another good example I think is like Martin Luther King, or oh, like yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, easy yeah. to kind of like take Martin Luther King's. Yeah, we we defanged him as a progressive, as a radical. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I mean, because that has you know who is writing the history books, right? Who's teaching mm-hmm. the teachers how to teach and what to teach? Who's mandating what they teach and in what ways? And so. Obviously, you know there is a there is a power in in you know understanding the the hard fought victories of how we got to very simple things that we take for granted now, like the eight hour workday. To go back to the right. you know yeah. the example of of, of, of the Haymarket uh, you know organizers and martyrs and um, that working people have consistently organized, consistently sought out one another, and in lieu of their own personal familial well-being they've thought about the communal good Mm -hmm. and i think in a capitalist society that ultimately is not the thing that we want to be teaching one another Mm. you know because that is counter to you know the myth of capitalism right that anybody can pull themselves up and ascend the socioeconomic ladder even though it's built for a very fine number of a few individuals an Mm -hmm. oligarchy you know and we see that now in some ways you know, more than ever, the results of that tyranny of the oligarchy, because, you know, when when we have billionaires who are, you know, not only in office, but also making sure that their other billionaire friends are, you know, creating policies that ensure the constant, you know, you know, the, the, the robbing of, 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 of working people's coffers and, and working people's you know, victories and, and, you know, gutting the EPA and, and you know, and, and, and all of these things that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that this that this moment and in some ways the history of America and in some ways the history of the world is about, is about, you know, working people, uh, you know, in a kind of battle with, with those who have access to the means of production and and the maintenance of those of those means, and so um, there's a, there's a terror I think involved. Then you know if you if you if you educate the masses into understanding their progressive radical roots, you know it'll we, we would have a different country. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, well, uh, and I think an, another really great example of this is um, someone that I know that you're very passionate about, which is like Harold Washington, who um, like we've named the library after him, but like, just in the ten minutes of talking that you did on the Make No Bones pod, shout out Toby, Toby Altman. Altman, yeah, um, Make No Bones podcast is a great podcast. Yeah, um, but just in that, I must have learned at least three or four things about Harold Washington just in that period of time that I didn't know. Um, and you know, I mean, all, like I'm a bad student myself. You know, like I, right. I you know, and I, but I think part of, you know, we have maybe intentionally tried to deaden our desire for a public education because it's, you know, all, you know, routinized into a standardization, into a test that is going to get us what, you know, and I, I think, I mean, my kind of pedagogy is a, 
educator now is to just start with, well, what do you like? What's around you? Let's explore that world and use that as a site to begin a conversation. So, you know, even like, what is the street named after? What is the neighborhood named after? How did it get that name? To me, that's like, that begins to be very fascinating. And so, you know, Harold Washington is an example of someone who, like, I, I mean, I know people who, you know, would say that Harold was probably assassinated, you know? Mm-hmm. because of his organizing efforts mm-hmm. you know and because he you know th- you know he was mired in what they called the council wars which was a fight with entrenched white racist aldermen to keep their centers of power to continue to redline and gerrymander the way that the city of Chicago operates mm-hmm. in order to keep you know a pay for pay pay for play you know type of, of of relationship to developers to you know banks to you know giant corporations in the city and so Harold was about deconstructing that you know about giving power back to the neighborhoods about having you know representation in this city look like the city itself and he scared the shit out of people yeah you know? so yeah i mean a lot of that a lot yeah. of that a lot of like the book is i mean it's to remind us that, like, one, first of all, that we are the dopest city in the world, like, first and foremost. And, <laughs> right. and, and like, and, and, and in a lot of ways, like, so goes Chicago, so goes the country, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, I mean, I think we are the heart of this country. And, and I know that, you know, D.C. obviously is, the, you know, is the capital. And New York, in some ways, might, you know, and this, is, this has changed, certainly. And, of course, we have our, you know, good friends from Hamburg in the, in the building. And, and I think for a little while, New York might have been, like, the capital of... of of the world it felt like you know um and i think that that is changing but i think chicago you know so goes chicago so goes the country and so some of the examination and the the you know the the desire to tell our history is because i think we have a lot to learn from what has happened here and also what we can do to counter some of the fuck shit that's happened here too Mm -hmm. you know yeah i think that with chicago what we have is a very what makes us what makes us a a great city in one regard is like we're in a u- unique situation where culturally we're very active we're very developed but then on the flip side it's also much easier to live here than it is to live in New York San Francisco any of those coastal cities and so what you have are what you have is just a breeding ground for change because it's people, it's like young people who are scrapping and like you're able to scrap here. And from that scrapping is where you get new ideas. It's where you get growth. Yo, I think that's why the arts are so good here. Yeah. You know, because it's, you know, I think the artists are also working class people. Yeah. And so they grind and scrap in that same way that they, you know, because they have to. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's the, I'm sorry. I no, please. You no, you got it. The thing that is... um really upsetting to me with arts communities is when you then get this uh, and it's something we talk about a lot on the show is um not recognizing that a lot of the people that are artists here are working class and can't afford like there are a lot of institutional arts performing arts organizations that charge forty dollars a ticket fifty dollars a ticket and it's like who's affording i know people that put on performances, and some of them are fundraisers, and sure, you call it a fundraiser, and then you can charge $70 or whatever, but, like, your friends, like, you, like 75% of the people that you see on a daily basis, 
can't afford to see your shows. And isn't there a reason? Don't you think there's a reason for that? And don't you think you should recognize on an organizational level that I can't charge this much for a ticket to see my thing if I'm expecting it to have any cultural like relevance at all? Yeah, what we are is a DIY community without the knowledge that we are a DIY community. Yeah. yeah. At least in what in what we've in what, in, in in what we can realistically <clears throat> In what we can realistically build with a working class budget. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing what I think Chicagoans have done, despite some of the, you know, uh, the lack of vision by some of the major institutions. Right. Um, you know, you look at the storefront theater scene in, in, right. in, in the city. Right. And there's what a few hundred storefront theaters in the city. Right. On any night of the week, you can go hear live music. You can go hear live poetry. You can go, uh, you know, see all sorts of like underground film sessions uh, dance battles there's like I mean we have in first of all we are in the midst also in this moment I think of the greatest time in Chicago culture creation I think it's the best mm-hmm. time to be a creative person in, in the city because of some of the access to technology mm-hmm. because Chicago is still a an affordable city to live for some mm-hmm. um, right. and it's a big city and so even as artists get pushed out and in some ways like you know, the, the one of the one of the things I'm thinking a lot about now, because of the book that I'm writing, is about gentrification and that process of, you know, when artists come into a neighborhood and maybe make it uh, something that is, you know, desirable for you know companies and real estate investors and, and uh, you know folks to to invest money in or to flip houses, then of course the artists can't afford to live there anymore, which is right. you know the irony because that's in part what drew that attention to begin with. Um, but I, I, you know that that this city is a space uh, that people will circumnavigate some of those you know dominant institutions in order to build that DIY community, regardless. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, kind of piggybacking on a conversation we had before. I mean, the thing that is amazing about Chicago is the public infrastructure. Um, you know, my. Uh, um, kind of relationship to Harold Washington is really through the library in that it's a, it's been always been amazing to me that this space where people can create like I mean giant famous uh, Chicago artist Chance the Rapper like made his album in that library and on top of that for people that I like people that I know that are working class opera singers and like classically trained folks you can go up to the seventh floor or the not, not the seventh floor the ninth to get a, like a practice room. Oh yeah, you, you can, can just sign up. There are out. like eight practice rooms up there. There's a bunch of books that like because that's a very frequent thing for classically musicians is you need to rent a book out and like look at a score to like learn the music basically. And so like you very much need a library institution. And Chicago is one of the most richest, uh, the most richest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but but that and that's a good example too. It's like what do we, what do we imagine to be the public good? Right. You know, what do we imagine the public space to be? What ought, what ought it be? You know, like, and I think it's on the artists. I mean, this is a lot of the work that we do, and we we talk about at, at Young Chicago Authors. Like, it's on the artists to imagine the kind of city that we want to live in. Right. We have that, you know, radical, vibrant imagination, and so once we begin to apply it into the civic sphere, well, what does the public space look like? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, a lot of what's happening now in urban space is a reduction of the right to a public 
Uh, it's the, the push towards privatization, yeah. uh, whether it be schools or parking or water or whatever it is, right? I mean, and, that's, and that, those, that is that same, you know, oligarch getting wealthier in every kind of imaginable scheme they can. Right. Uh, but then, you know, there's many more of us than there are of them. And so I think it's like the public library is such a, you know, beautiful institution that was not, right, at some point. And it continues to be threatened, mm-hmm. right? But, but that idea of like, well, maybe everybody does deserve access to the same kind of knowledge and resource and materials as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about a library card is, I mean, you could go in and get one. Right. You know, and so that kind of, um, you know, equitable public space is you know something that we should transfer into a billion different spaces Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah and i mean that's the thing about like harold washington specifically is that he built that and had reasons for building that and creating all of that depth but that's it's it's weird to me that that's what we sometimes lose and it's it's frequently lost the like we just take it so for granted that like someone built the need for instituting culture yeah what were you gonna say uh i was going to transition over to um your work with louder than a bomb speaking of you know uh, providing a space for everybody to express and i um i'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that competition because it's amazing Thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a that's a uh, and a bomb at the Chicago Youth Poetry Festival is a uh, festival we've done in in Chicago now for seventeen, going on eighteen years. Um, it's a it's a it's a poetry slam movement year round program that you know culminates in February and March uh, in the city. Uh, last year we had about a hundred and eight teams in the festival and. It's kind of we're trying to build teams of young creative folks in high schools uh, around Chicago, the Chicago land area, and they come together to compete against one another in this kind of battle format. Um, and last year we had about eleven hundred or you know about a thousand poets on stage. Uh, the festival has grown to about four or five weeks now. In in that time, we see about twenty thousand Chicagoans in the audience or so. And, you know, it's, it's been a tool to reimagine uh, youth cultural space and also just, you know, public cultural space because uh, a few things. I mean, one, and, you know, I, I was, as a kid, uh, you know, I, I got into electronic music uh, because of hip-hop and, and, and the boombox I had as a, as, a, as a latchkey kid, but being a Chicagoan and, and hearing the export from New York, going out as a teenager to try to find a party, men in Chicago, that you were essentially being ushered into the community of house. And a house music party uh, now or, or in the day was uh, a very vibrant, incredibly live, odd, lovely, lovely place to be. And everybody was there, you know. Um, my friend Boogie McLaren, who's a dancer and choreographer and house philosopher and historian talks about house's notion of radical inclusivity you know that if you had a body and you wanted to use that body on the dance floor you were welcome and it's the kind of public space that we're trying to create with louder than a bomb where we're using the tool of spoken word hip-hop poetry to have young people traverse boundaries that have been intentional about you know 
islanding them into their neighborhoods around the city. And I think in the span of, you know, these 17 years or so, you know, we've had an impact on the culture of young people in Chicago, where now young people are, you know, coming, first of all, they're traveling in a way that maybe their parents didn't via, you know, CTA, which is, again, like one of these other kind of public imaginative projects that, you know, and I tell the story, like the L got open in like June 6, 1892 or something like that. Um, and, you know, in my mind, it's like a working class spaceship, you know, it's like a, we're, we're able mm -hmm. to like, you know, levitate above you know, the ground and go into one another's neighborhoods and go to the gig and go to the cousin's spot or whatever it is. And, um, you know, so we're, we're trying to, like, imagine and reimagine what a cultural space of the city might be. And so both on the stage, in terms of the narratives that are being shared, you'll hear the spectrum of human experience. You'll hear, you know, a young person from every zip code in the Chicagoland area. And then in the audience, you also see Chicago, right? It's not just like, you know... We're a, you know, this, you know, we're a theater troupe who's performing for like very wealthy, you know, older white people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like everybody's there. And that's is just as important for us as to also what's happening on stage. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the work that we do for, through Louder Than a Bomb. It's Louder Than a Bomb is a program of Young Chicago Authors, which is a nonprofit literary organization where I'm the artistic director. Uh, we've been in Wicker Park for about 25 years, which is also part of the reason why I think a lot about gentrification because um, yeah, that neighborhood it. and, and yeah, a, well, yeah, I'm yeah. a manager at a cafe in Wicker Park. Oh, where, which one? Uh, Fairgrounds. Where is that? It's a, it's technically Bucktown. It's it's um north on Milwaukee, just north of Six Corners. It opened like a year ago. Oh. No, it opened like in March. Oh yeah, yeah. not less than. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it's it's really it's on the uh like the the westish side of the street, right? Yeah. It's like very beautiful, it's, right? It's across from Pork and Mindy's. Yes, I, I've never <laughs> been. Um, Me neither. Yeah, it, it uh, looks like literal hell, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, so. I'm, um... Well, especially, we're both vegan, is the thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then that wouldn't be... Yeah, and right. it just... Yeah. All day. Yeah. Eye contact. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. But, um... And the, isn't it a, no. a pig? I don't know. I, we don't have to, we don't Sorry. have to rail on pork and minis, yeah. but, um... I, but you're familiar with the neighborhood. I am familiar yeah. with the yeah. neighborhood. And what's crazy is, um, when we first opened, we got a lot of, like, neighborhood veterans that would, you know, a guy came in and would sit down at the, at the coffee bar and... I think kind of like trying to show me his Wicker Park cred. He was like, oh, well, a kid died on my front lawn. I was like, whew, those were the days, right? Yeah, it's not a good thing, my dude. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, there, there is that sense of like, like, ask anyone who lived there 20 years ago. Like, it is not the same place. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and, and I mean, and which is part of the reason. I'm so fascinated. And, and that, that intersection is so interesting. We used to do... Um, we used to do a six-ring circus every Friday at 10 at that at, at that <laughs> intersection. Uh, there was a crew I worked with. Um, what, do you know this, there's a space in Logan Square now, and I'm gonna I'm forgetting the name of it, but um, it's this group of it was essentially this group of jazz musicians, and they had a church for a while in Humble Park, and uh, but they used to live in a big loft just uh, west of Damon on North Avenue, and we would like gather there. Uh, every Friday night at about eight, and like plan out what what people were gonna do. But it was like we had like puppeteers and like a mime troupe from Northwestern, and rappers and <laughs> photographers and street musicians and b boys and all these. And so every Friday we was like a different way into the intersection. Sometimes we'd like get off the train. It was like a procession into that intersection, and it was. 
I mean, they, yeah, the neighborhood was kind of wild, you know. Yeah. Um, it's also where my grandfather moved from the Ukraine to the Ukrainian. It wasn't the Ukrainian village at the time. It was like actually like Irish, you know, Ville or some something like that. Um, <laughs> but he moved to the neighborhood in 1906, and so in a lot of ways, like my whole life has revolved around that neighborhood, which is why I think a lot about it. Um, but anyway, Young Chicago Authors is there, and uh, but we work in you know we work in hundreds of schools throughout the course of a year. Um, and and in our you know trying to not only you know use our work to create a different cultural space for young people, but also trying to think about a new kind of creative cultural workforce too. Uh, we end up employing a lot of our graduates from the program who then you know go on to be some of our teaching artists or you know now like our you know our marketing managers from the program, our national director of louder than a bomb is from the program our associate artistic directors from the pro you know so there's we we also see you know in our own backyard in our own program the future you yeah. know um and that's been powerful too uh, so when i um when i graduated college i moved back to milwaukee for a couple of years and um did some work um with a an organization called piano arts that teaches music to schools that um either don't have music programs or want to supplement their music programs. And then, um, so I was a teaching artist and then I helped develop curriculum for a little while. So I'm, I'm interested in the structure of like what your teaching artists go in and actually do. Like, um, and like, is it each individual instructor coming up with a, their own kind of lesson or is it homogenized? Um, and yeah, I'm just, specifically interested in that yeah no it's great i mean first of all i love milwaukee milwaukee's great yeah milwaukee's great i got a lot of love for the midwest generally mm -hmm. you know, just a lot of like rust belt love you know um and yeah i would say nothing we do is homogenous right because we we know that homogeny is like kind of whack you know yeah and uh you know we we write a lot of curriculum together um as a as a kind of creative staff um we're working right now a few years ago uh nate marshall who's the lot of the bomb national director Kareish ali lansana uh who is an educator and poet um and homie uh, Nate's an incredibly fine poet too, and a, a you know former LTAB participant. We put out a, an anthology called the Breakbeat Poets: uh, New American Poetry in the Age of Hip Hop. It's 78 poets from around the country, um, born 1961 to 1999, and so that's become kind of our textbook. And so right now, as a staff, we're kind of imagining what that looks like as curriculum. So we're you know 20, 25 exercises, and we're in the process of kind of beginning to codify some of that, you know, some of the way we would teach those poems in the classroom. Now, that will become a curriculum that we as an organization use, that we work with our teaching artists to also use. And then the real hope and the desire is that the teaching artists that we are working with, many of whom are kind of young and young as educators, will begin to see and develop their own curriculum based off of our idea about what a good pedagogy is, if that makes yeah. sense, right? That sounds way more organized than the program I was. Watching. Oh wow, yo, we're yo, we're trying to get there. It's, you know, I mean, it's, we're we're trying, but um, you know, and, and and we've you know we've written some curriculum for, uh, you know, CPS before. There's a there's a there's only I mean, to, you know, the the arts in public education, of course, are often the first to go, right? Yep. And, and so even our relationship with CPS has been fraught. And so a lot of times when we get into a school, it's either via a student or a very dedicated teacher, you know, very, 
very, you know, it's infrequent where we are, you know, brought in via the administration, you know. Yeah. And and so our relationship with CPS has been all over the place. But a few years ago, we wrote a Chicago rights curriculum that's like all Chicago artists, uh, musicians, and poets, and novelists, and you know, short fiction folk, uh, journalists, and 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 uh, it was like 25 exercise, 20 25 exercises that high school teachers could put right into the classroom as a CPS approved literary arts curriculum, like the only one that they had at the time or something. Um, so we do stuff like that, but really it's like we're trying to work with educators from all over. I mean, not just teaching artists, but also just classroom educators or folks who organize in a community to use this tool of essentially like, you know, spoken word, hip hop poetry, but just to get people in a space to tell their own story, you know, yeah. to really document who you are, where you come from. Um, our, I think, main aesthetic in some ways has a lot to do with Chicago art. You know, I talk about it in the terms of like, I feel like Chicago artists, you know, and we do a lot of things as, as a, and this is, you know, a generalization, but I think one of the things that we do very well is realist working class portraiture, mm. you know, where a lot of artists across the genre are reflecting on the body and labor in one way or another, you know. And so for us as writers, that means like very basic, you know, kind of sensory information about your neighborhood. Uh, you know, odes to, you know, the Paletta man on your block. Um, you know, what is, the, what is, what is your walk from school look like? Uh, you know, how do you, you know, what is this, how do you celebrate like, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the candy ladies uh, wares, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff like that. We, we, we try to get folks thinking about, you know? Yeah. No, that's my, that's one of my favorite ways to connect with kids is to, like figure out a way to kindly get them to talk about what they like what they experience and what they see and when I say kindly I mean by not like line of interrogation that could be stressful but like like you know listen to this music like um tell me about something that happened that it make tell me something that happened this morning that makes you think of it you know like you know sharing an experience of this art and then turning that into an invitation to be creative that's that's all we do yeah right and i mean i think that's probably how i don't know i mean i feel like that's how a lot of artists are just made too mm-hmm. right it's like you you see something you feel something you experience something you're like oh damn like maybe i want to do this myself it gives you permission yeah to do that and and that's i mean that's exactly what we try to do and you know and our texts i mean that's I think we, we spend a lot of time reading and listening and trying to combine, you know, both poem or, you know, journalism with like a song or something like that. Maybe even something that somebody already knows in order to kind of connect them to their own experience inside of a classroom, which maybe they've never been connected into in a, mm-hmm. in a way deliberately. And we, we invite them to do the same, you know, like if, if it's like, you know, my man Idris Goodwin has a uh, poem called about, about the history of his name. You know, it's just like how he got to be named Idris. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not named Idris, but what's my own relation to my own name's history? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that that turnover and that kind of, like, pedagogical shift, you know? Yeah. Um, at what age do you start working with kids? Oh, I mean, you know, however young, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, one of the best things I've done with the... I, I was with the... I think I was... It was like... I think it was... I feel like it was like a third grade class, you know, and those kids have so many, they're so funny, 
that's never like endless questions like i could still be there with them now you know <laughs> class was like six months ago but they still like just constantly um we work primarily with high school and college students mm-hmm. you know but um i mean yesterday i was in a in a church with with uh you know you know folks who are probably 60 and above primarily you know and and do writing work with them and writing work with young folks and younger you know a lot of middle schools um elementary schools and you know runs the gamut at what um oh see um (laughs) at what age group have you found there's the like the biggest learning curve like which group of individuals would you say it's like is the toughest nut to crack uh college yeah because at that point they've developed a lot of bad habits you know Mm -hmm. Okay. And particularly when it comes to this kind of art, you know, like a lot of times I feel like they might have an idea about what they should be writing or what they should be sounding like. Uh, at that point, maybe they've even experienced a kind of poetry or a kind of writing that I think might not be great. And so it's like, nah, my man, like, don't, you don't have to sound that way. You know what I mean? Like you could, <laughs> like, you know, because in some ways, I mean, you know, you know, I, I, the smartest people in the world are probably like junior and seniors in high school. Like I think that those, that's, I think like those those are like the geniuses. You know, I can relate uh, to that. You know, I feel like they know so much about the world and they know so much that like adults will never know um, because they're so close to you know new culture and new language and new ideas and you know they've really started to put together so much at that point. You know, and obviously they're also idiots. I mean, I certainly was an idiot, and but you know, I also think that in some ways they are the most open, and uh, you know, I found like those to me are like, yeah, that's that's that for me that's that's I think the most exciting age. Yeah. Well, they're about to, they they've like in such a short period of time, like experienced two thresholds where they cross over from being a kid to being whatever the hell being a teenager is, and they're staring down the barrel of their next one. So yeah. it's like, kind of like, it's it's turbulent, and turbulence is good for creativity. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I, know, <laughs> I know the other thing that I um, really appreciate uh, learning about you is how your... Um, resume i guess is the right word for it it's just damn i feel like i don't have one so that's what's up thank you no but i did (laughs) or or you you'd be like yo your resume is trash yeah that was it yo that was it i spell check that shit and you cannot spell which is true i cannot formatting yeah yeah yeah. um yo your font choice my dude questionable ariel really like six different fonts for the whole thing this is why you've never had a job Well, no, I think it's amazing because um, you've done so much, like, like you've been on Def Jam a few times, like, you've done, um, this is your 10th book. I'm like, old, man, I'm old, that's that's what happens, you know, you just, you, you know, the thing, you know, hopefully you stay alive long enough, you get to do shit, you know? Yeah, um, what, how, so, uh, in that way, so I, my, my thinking here is that, you've lived 
like quite a lot already. Like you've done, so, you've accomplished so much. Is what you're I'm so trying old. to say. That's not you're what so I'm trying to say. Oh, this is subtext. Subtext. You look great. It's like, you, man, a, you don't yeah. look a day over eighty. Like yeah. I can't believe it. It's incredible. You yeah, came. How walked. do you stay yeah, so yeah, young? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. You walked in on your own accord. I. <laughs> well, I'm so my the reason I'm prefacing with this and then kind of digging the hole for myself <laughs> is my actual question is as an educator um i think that you know kind of looking at the things that you like you're looking at your past as a and obviously i'm, I'm an outside um person um i am curious just kind of like as an educator how much of that of like what you've experienced kind of like all of these things like how much of that comes into that and how much in what way does it like do, is that something that you think about yeah that's a good question actually i like i you know it's not like i'm in a classroom and be like yo i've written all these books you right. know what i mean i think yeah. I, th- I think part of what it does is that i have a certain thing that i get or well, a bunch of things that i get very excited about and i think hopefully that's why i'm an effective educator because i stay a student you know, like mm-hmm. I stay digging into books and videos and albums. And like once I find something that I'm excited about, all I want to do is be like, yo, this shit is dope. Y'all right. see that? Y'all see that, right? Like, the, uh, and, and then to have somebody else be like, because in some ways that's why, I, so I, I, you know, I was a bad student, like a very, very bad student. And I never finished college. And I, I had a very hard time sitting in a classroom. And also I was, you know, stayed fighting with my teachers. But, um, as a, as a teacher, you know, I think what I started to do was bring into a space things that I was really energetic about. And then it was what kept me was that I, I began to found, uh, find a community that was equally excited about the same things. Like real nerdy word shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, one of my first classes, like we were listening to Lauren Hill's, uh, or we, we were listening to the score, the Fuji's second record, and talking about how ill Lauren Hill is, and and in some, I think maybe connecting it to like Gwendolyn Brooks, right, which is a very small bridge to make, and so to have then anyone outside of me be like, yeah, that's dope, like yeah. that for me, I was like, oh, for real, like I'm yeah. okay, word, like we're we're vibing, right. and that has that's what I seek to do, you know what I mean. Yeah, and I mean, the, and I, that really, the being a perpetual student thing to me really ties into that too, because I think that for people that maybe, maybe they didn't even do well in school, but they enjoyed being in school. I know that's, for me, that's kind of where I wasn't a straight A student. I mean, I did okay, but like, um, I mean, I, you know. I mean, I, I have mean, my transcripts no, here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> You know, 3.9. <laughs> you know, it's just, four scale. I, don't, you know. I guess it's just, it's an interesting thing of trying to put into words what success looks like for, for people like that. Like, yeah. especially in the arts. Like, I think, um, like, it's hard for me to, to look to someone and be able to go like, oh, well, we can both agree that you're successful. I feel like there's such a, a level of like, like, even if I were 40 and, and, written everything I've ever wanted to written and performed everything I've ever wanted to perform. I think, I feel like I would always feel like there's still more to do. You would hope, right? Like, right. Yeah. You would definitely hope like, yeah. I mean, I feel like one, I, I'm, I love writing, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I love, and, and I think for me, the way I kind of gauge success is can I continue 
to write? You know, right. can I continue to get up and write? And I've built my life around getting up and writing. You know, so if I could continue to do that, then I'm successful. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously it's like I mean, I also want to eat and I want to eat well and I want to like you know be able to like get fly kicks and all of that. You know, and and um, but to me, that's that's at, in terms of the art, that's how I gauge success. Right? Can I can can you know tomorrow? Can I wake up and do my art? If I can, I feel like I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the um, fun area where we have five minutes left. Oh, word. Okay. All right. Because I I felt like that was a kind of an ending. I was. Like, we were like, all right, word. I'm satisfied with that. You you have to do, you have to do the 55. Uh, I mean, well, you know. I, kind of. I'm a weird, like... <laughs> That's fine. I'm also, like, my own weird numerologist. Right. Like, I wake up at 7.23 every morning. Yeah. Um, and, you know... I'm so jealous of that, by the way. That, that... That... No, that you that you get... That you naturally wake up early. Oh, yeah. I used to do that. Yeah. And then I've I've gotten out of the habit of it. And I, I miss it. Yeah. It's good, right? It's so good. Mm-hmm. The days that I wake up between 7 and 8... Ugh. So much better. So much better. Yeah. No, well, I think, yeah, the day, mind, everything is, like, clear then. Yeah. You know. What's uh, your favorite, like, cultural thing right now? Do you watch, like, Game of Thrones or anything like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely watch Game of Thrones. You know what I just watched that I was really feeling was, uh, and I was late to it, obviously, but uh, Westworld. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I caught Westworld. Yeah, you, we, you saw the last half. Oh, yeah. okay. I was at, um, <laughs> I was at work, and I on my way home called him he was like I'm four episodes deep in Westworld you gotta come <laughs> watch it with me <laughs> and I'm not a real one at least yeah. he invited you yeah, didn't exactly. watch the whole season be like ah oh, nah I've been nah not doing anything well and I, the thing is I know her pretty well at this point where the first three <laughs> or four episodes yeah. were definitely way more particularly violent like yeah. and, and senselessly so yeah. it was the whole like them figuring out the premise thing and so once they <laughs> once we got through halfway through like and it was much more plot driven I was like oh this is the perfect time for I'm actually really glad I started this without you because you'll actually no like watching no offense no shots yeah, yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> anyway yeah but that's a, you know I'm, I'm digging that um, you know I'm rereading uh, I'm rereading um Jane Jacobs, uh, The Death and Life of an American Neighborhood, which mm-hmm. is uh, about New York and the transformation of New York, uh, particularly the village, you know, and, and her desire for like a, an envision in some ways for a different kind of urban plan, mm-hmm. um, you know, focused on like, you know, small streets and small neighborhoods and community gardens and local art spaces for art and uh, neighbors actually like engaging and knowing and building with one another and you know just that vision for a city which you know obviously we in some ways have lost yeah. um, uh, but but I think is a really I mean it's a, it's, a, it's a really important book in terms of urban planning um, and a I would say like a resistant or counter narrative to the kind of urban planning that so often uh, we, we, we build in favor of you mm-hmm. know you know, it's funny. Um, I see that contrast between you know having lived in Milwaukee, where there is a lot of those spaces where there are small, like really small, because Milwaukee is so much smaller. The neighborhoods are also way smaller. There's a lot more green space. There's a lot more like because it didn't have that rapid growth. Mm. There are still vacancies, and yeah. so there's like room to breathe and room to grow and. Um, 
whereas here it feels like every everything is squared off everything is sectioned off like prepackaged like here is your slice of chicago mm. and it's it's such like there are I, I guess there are virtues to both but it, the difference is what gets me every single time yeah yeah i feel that i feel that and yeah milwaukee i mean milwaukee has done a good job of also preserving that lakefront too you yeah. know um, which I think is really special. I mean, you know, and we, I mean, and you see our idiocy here. You know, we continue to build and, like, you know, we're, we're charging for to go to the beach now. Really? Mm. I'm pretty sure that's illegal, by the way. Like, that's wait, true. is that you know, a thing? Yeah. Which, what beach? Isn't, like, I feel like you can't go to certain beaches without, like, they'll charge you. I know they do in the burbs, but I feel like, I feel like I've been to, what, maybe, like, not North, maybe they don't charge, but I feel like North Avenue Beach, they'll, like, fuck around. At least that charge you for parking. I don't know. That doesn't... Oh, you do have yeah. to pay for parking. Yeah, it's it's a it's a meet. That's te- used to be. I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, the whole thing, but whatever. I'll tell you this. I'm also just because I we could obviously that's like um, the album that I'm super rocking with right now is uh, my man Joseph Chilliams from the Pivot Gang just put out of his first project called Henry Church, and this okay, dude yeah. this dude is a um, a rapper from the West Side of Chicago, also producer. He is Chicago's. Uh, like this, you know, obviously we're in a great moment for hip hop and he is our like weirdo. You know what I mean? Cool. He is so odd and funny. Um, some like cool Keith and MF Doom and like any kind of like Delta Funky Homo sapien, just like a like an odd, funny, particular dude who can also for real rap. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, that project, like, you know, folks should check out that project. It is hilarious. And it also goes like you're also heading out to it, and uh, he's got a lot of great features on there too. And it's it's certainly like representative of of what folks are are you know a community right now that's really yeah. popping. So awesome, cool. Well, um, the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes that's very obvious, like if they've recently released a book, and well and um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. And um, they wanted to let people know where they could. Uh, get their hands on that um otherwise and obviously we just did this for five minutes but sometimes it can be like self-care stuff but also um where people can find you on your home all the things yeah yeah, yeah. no yeah and your, home, your home address <laughs> oh, right. yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> come over y'all you know i'm on the third floor yeah. <laughs> no like social media yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, I, I got it. <laughs> thank you uh, that would be like a awesome and weird end though if you're like no you have to tell us where you live right like with every this guest time, you're yeah. like Look, for real, what's your address? Right. Every weirdest thing, every single, probably coincidence, all of our previous guests, home invasion. It's the weirdest <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> immediate um, home invasion. I sleep with a baseball bat. I'm for real. But, uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I'm at, uh, at Kevin Koval on, on all the interconnected networks. Uh, my Instagram is all about street graffiti art in Chicago and around the planet. Um, I also advertise, like, the events that we do. And we do a lot of events. YoungChicagoAuthors.org is the organization. And that's where, you know, all the info about Louder Than a Bomb and, and our organization can be had. Um, and then, yeah, the book, A People's History of Chicago, is, is everywhere. I mean, really, really support... Uh, local bookstores, you know, um, and then Haymarket Books, the publishers, their their website uh, as well. They're Chicago-based publisher. They publish uh, radical and progressive, uh, you know, um, non, you know, political nonfiction and also 
some poems, um, and and they're great. They're you know they're really really good folks. Uh, and then yeah, I mean I'm doing 180 readings in 365 days for the book, so it's basically like one every other day, if not more. And so you could you know just you know hit me on Twitter or whatever, and mm-hmm. I, I'm constantly putting out the word about the work. So awesome, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are a lot of ways that you can do that. The first is you can head over to scopymag.com. That is our website. We have all of our articles up there. Um, We do a lot of writing. I do a lot of writing. We have a couple of writers that uh, write regularly. We do local politics and local arts. Um, Otherwise, you can keep up with us uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're under Scopy Magazine. I should have said that first. Facebook, Scotty Magazine, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, iTunes, and Google Play, Scopy Mag, S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the port- importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. Um, we like to pay our writers and... Um, it is through your contributions that we're able to do that. So if you head to our website, scopymag.com about, you can find out a little more about us, and you can also give in two ways. First one is you can do a one-time donation, and you will have our eternal gratitude and a handwritten thank you note if you choose to give in that way. The other way is through a monthly donation. Um, if you are... Our next few donors, new monthly donors, you'll actually be given a small... Half-wit coffee. Oh, yeah, half-wit coffee. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be given a bag of half-wit coffee. Um, Or um, we also have um, hand-carved wooden flags by a local wood shop called B.I.B. So... Uh, and if you give it $10 a month or more, you get free studio photography from Daniel Johansson. Give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep. <laughs>